This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Maria Bartiromo. I'm Greg Gutfeld. I'm Liz Clayman, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, October 6th, 2023. I'm Eben Brown. Survivors of the terror attack in Israel speak out illustrating the fear and the horror of running for their lives. It's just a feeling like you're going to die any time, like any minute. This this was a feeling that we had to be uh, like to feel for 24 hours until we were rescued. This is the Fox News Rundown Evening Edition. Hey folks, it's your man Keyshawn Johnson here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations, or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, They've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie your trusted ally in home services. It's been a full month since Hamas terrorists infiltrated southern Israel and gruesomely killed 1,400 people. The henchmen wore their own cameras to document the shooting, the raping, the beheading, and the other brutal torture and killing and kidnapping. Now survivors are talking about what they saw and what they ran from and how they feel the world isn't always listening or caring. Maya Paritzer and her fiancé and their friends hope to have the time of their young lives at the Nova Music Festival in southern Israel. Not all of them escaped unharmed. They're not just stories I'm afraid I wish I can say to all these horrible people are, that are commenting. This is not real. Or asking in person while I'm hanging these signs in New York. Asking me, is this real? Like, I wish I can say, yeah. No, it's not real. It's, it's a dream. I wish I could say that, but I'm afraid it's not. It is real. They are right now used as cards, as leverage. Instead of turning to diplomacy, we're turning into blood, and the world celebrates it. A lot of the world does. And this just blows my mind. That is from Maya's talk at the Aventura Turnberry Jewish Center near Miami. She spent the past two weeks in the U.S. talking with Congress members, 
and anyone else who will listen, her story begins at that music festival where Maya and the others were doing what you do in that space of time after you finish your youth and before you start being an adult. We were dancing for an hour or so before sunrise began. And I think it began around 6 in the morning, so we actually did get to spend a little time on the dance floor without everything happening. And I think 30 minutes later, it all started to, to change because of all the rockets and missiles up in the sky. At first, like, the music was playing. Everyone was still, like, dancing, but we were at that point back in our where our stuff was, so we weren't really listening to the music, so we can hear, like, all the noise from the missiles and rockets and iron drones, so... At that point, we really understood that something bad's happening because it's it's not unusual. It was in an unusual amount, and it usually lasts for like five, ten minutes, and then it's like back to normal. This time it was very different. This time it didn't stop for hours. Yeah. You saw all of these rockets. You saw the Iron Dome responses. It lasted more than a few moments. When did the feeling change, that this was not usual. I mean, it's a sad uh, thing to say, okay, in Israel, we're used to rockets every so often. But at some point, you realize this isn't the normal thing, and the feeling inside here has to change. When, when did that happen? I think because we waited so long, like, I was just covering myself. I was very crying, and I you know, like, I'm sometimes like a, in, like a drama queen. Sometimes they take things, you know, harder than other people, because I was really scared, but then it didn't stop. And even when we were driving in a car around 7 o'clock, it still didn't stop. And even when we arrived to Kibbutzad, that for sure, that time we knew because we got shot at that something's very off. But I think even like the duration of it made me realize like this is not a usual thing. Like to hear constantly the Tsevadom alert go on and on, like it was unusual. But people really didn't understand like how of a nightmare it's going to be, like that it's just like the small really piece of what's coming for us. Yeah, it seems that in short order you went from attending this festival to realizing something is wrong to getting into a car with your fiancé and, and, and a couple of friends and really making a run for it. That must have been... How, how scary was that car ride? Uh, because you, you're trying to get away from something and you, I think you realized pretty quickly that you weren't necessarily getting away from it. So we... When we decided to take a left turn, everything was confusing, but then we didn't thought like, we, we even took the time packing all of our stuff. Like we didn't think like this is an immediate threat. We just thought like all the rockets and missiles, this is wrong. Yeah. Maybe something's gonna come next. We didn't know that right now we're in a, in a survival mode, like we should fight for our lives right now. And maybe even that helped us because the first cars that left the, the premises of the party were the first to encounter all these awful, brutal terrorists who just wanted to slaughter us. So I think maybe, you know, driving and seeing all the, like, it was just chaotic in the road. And we felt like we started making all these excuses as the fact that maybe everyone is scared of the rockets and missiles. But then something in our stomach, like, it didn't really sit. But then we were kind of drunk, kind of confused, so we just decided to keep driving. You see all these cars U-turning, and then like, if one car U-turns, you'll be like, they got the wrong direction. But if many cars U-turn, it's like, something's off. And usually, like, I think the rational response would be, like, to either turn your car as well or you stop someone and say, like, what's going on? But because, like, everything was so confusing, a lot of cars are stopping in, in random places and we have to, like, navigate through our way. Like, we didn't really, like, took the time to understand what's going on. And I think that's what kept us going forward without stopping the fact that we were so confused the fact we just 
dancing a few minutes ago. Now, like, we have to navigate our way through this thing. Not really understanding, even then, the terrorists are coming. I think it was only when we saw, uh, when we saw someone dead on, on the road and started hearing these gunshots, that's when we felt like terrorists are here. Like, before that, we just, we're just confused by the, all the cars. When you heard gunshots, what happened then? Because that, that sound is unbelievable, but you know what it is at the same time. So what was that? What goes through your mind at that point? When you look at your, your fiancé, do you have a, an unspoken moment of understanding at that point? I think we didn't really... Again, I think we didn't really understand. It was yeah. all like seconds. And when we heard the gunshots, I, I wasn't scared like, I'm going to die now. It felt to me like they're coming after us. It felt to me like they're in the back. So our reaction was to pull the gas and continue. And it, it was all like we, we were all crying, of course, me and the other girl, and like we were very scared. But I wasn't feeling like now I'm losing my life. It was only later when I when I talked to the civilian in the gate on Kibbutz Saad, and he was letting us know like how risky the drive was and how lucky we are. And then seeing like cars that actually have guns in their gunshots in, in the car and, and windows shattered and, and everything. That's, I think, when I really realized that they were coming to kill. Like, I think when they were shooting us, it didn't, it didn't really sit with me like that I'm right now in, in such a big danger. We felt like it was behind us. It was just like yeah. one car shooting us and all good. Now we escaped the dot. We dodged the bullet. We didn't really, like, it's not a usual thing for, like, so many people terrorists and civilians from Gaza to, to breach. It's something that's never happened before. Like, yeah. we were supposed to be safe. The party was legit. The only we were given the, the location two hours before. Like, everything was supposed to be so that it's safe. So, at first you feel like you'll be protected. Like, you don't feel like you're going to just be there alone for hours without any help. And it's only like a feeling that grew with the time that we spent there in the shelter. You ended up at the kibbutz. Which kibbutz was it? Kibbutz Saad. Kibbutz it's one more Saad. Saad. It's Saad. between Alumim and right next to Kfar Aza. Okay. This is really in the center of things, as we now know. You ended up with your fiancé in a shelter. Tell me how you got there, and tell, tell us the story of being in that shelter. So at first, when we saw the Israeli civilian with a gun telling us to just run inside. We just left our car in the main road, which is very unusual. But then we were so confused by the fact that terrorists are coming, like we didn't even grab any of our stuff, just phones. And like we were dressed like for a party, you know, it's, it's didn't even bring water, like all these stuff that we had, like a backpack filled with food because you were preparing for a long time. But it didn't cross our mind. It was just like make a run. And then we're running, and we're not even sure where to run. It's just like you're in this kibbutz, surrounded by a lot of houses, just standing there very confused. We were four people, just looking at each other like, what's next? Like, what are we going to do? I think the boys were like, it's going to get over soon, like, we'll continue the ride. And me and the girl were like, it doesn't feel right. And then standing there for like a couple of minutes, someone recognizes us and just runs and say like, oh, there's a public shelter, just run there. So the next thing we know, we're in this public shelter, and it has no doors. It has just concrete walls for, for rockets and missiles. And all this time, we're hearing Tseva Adam. Like, it didn't stop, as I said. Like, and Tseva Adam is the red alert. Red alert. Like the, yeah. the codes that tell you, like, you have to take time for a shelter. And, like, if it depends on, like, where you live, the amount of time you have. So it's like, if you're next to Gaza Strip, you only have, like, 15 seconds or so. So this whole amount of time, we're hearing the Tseva Adam. We're hearing, you know, 
stuff moving around. We, we're hearing stuff. We're not sure, but we're so scared. So in this public shelter, it has no doors, and like terrorists are here. Like that's not a safe position to stay for an unlimited amount of time. And like my boyfriend, my fiance, he was like, "Just let's stay here. It's gonna get over soon. Like IDF's gonna come take care of it." And Something didn't sit with me. So I reached across some WhatsApp groups for the time that I attended a school in Beersheba. I just, I'm a recent graduate. Mm-hmm. And this is sort of like a close area, like an hour or so drive. So I'm like, in my mind, for sure someone's gonna know someone who lives here. And then we found this amazing family. We're just living three minutes from us. So we're running there, taking a shelter inside their home with a door. But then yeah. again, it's not a safe because the door is not made to be locked. It's supposed to be unlocked from both sides in case someone is, is hurt inside the shelter. So even being there, you, you don't really feel safe. And it, it, the, the feeling gets stronger because everyone from the other kibbutzes are, are trying to tell like their police, trying to tell IDF, trying to tell the responders, like, I'm hurt, I'm dying, they're inside my house, I can hear them, I need help, my, my kid's alone. All this stuff, and, and it goes without response. So being stuck right there, not knowing whether this house is safe or not, it's just a feeling like you're going to die any time, like any minute. This, this was a feeling that we had to, be, uh, like to feel for 24 hours until we were rescued. 24 hours. 24 hours, you're texting your family, letting them know every five minutes or so that you're alive. And then also trying to hold on to your battery because you didn't bring anything with you, just right. running. And it's just a feeling that it doesn't get easier because you, you read, it just grows. And then you see like your friends being kidnapped to Gaza. You see all this stuff yeah. and you just know that you're not going to be safe. Were, were there terrorists around your your shelter at that point? How they, did didn't re- they didn't reach inside the kibbutz, but the, the house was very close to the border of Kfar Aza. Right. And there were many fighting around that area. We could hear, I think, helicopters. We could hear machine guns spraying automatic gunshots. It's not a safe feeling. And all this time, Tseva Dome, it keeps, keeps showing. It didn't yeah. end. The alarms kept coming. We are speaking with Maya Paritzer. She is an Israeli who survived the terror attack at the Nova Music Festival on October 7th. On the Fox News Rundown Evening Edition, we'll have more straight ahead. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You had some friends who escaped to a different place and they didn't have as fortunate of a story. Yeah. Uh, Tell us about your friends. So, you know... It's hard for me to say fortunate because I was right there. But looking backwards, it's like I'm lucky because I'm only damaged (laughs) mentally and I'm only, you know, how to endure this 24 hours of feeling when you feel close to death but powerless. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. But then I'm lucky because at first, like, I didn't really meet the terrorists. They were only close to me without me knowing it. And secondly, like, I'm here. I'm not in Gaza. I'm not dead. So... My friend didn't get the same luxury as me. She didn't have the time to go to her car. 
she had to take shelter the closest kibbutz, which, which was Re'im, taking like a right turn. Mm-hmm. I take a left turn, I took it. So after 15 minutes or so, she was able to text her mom, like, I'm alive, I'm in a shelter, don't worry. And then the terrorists came and they started throwing grenades at them just to keep them inside. Someone, some of their friends, his name was Lidor, he tried to make a run for it at some point, but he was, there were so many of them just waiting to shoot him like, like a target. So he was dead. And the people that were there had to be brave. They had to take the, someone had to make a decision. And these are kids, students, people who had no idea what they're going to get into. And all of a sudden they have to decide, like, I am going to be the brave one. I will take the grenade, taking the risk, throwing it outside. They were lucky at first, but then they started losing their butt parts, such as hands, feet, and it was a small space, so everyone had to lie down. So it's like a mass of people just lying on top of another. My friend was there. She, at, at some point, they couldn't throw them, them back, the grenades. They were so tired and restless, and they, uh, everything got smoky. She lost some of her hearing. She had damage, like physical damage from the, from the remains of the grenades. But she was alive, you know. And then the terrorists came after a few hours when they, I think they brought the truck to, to kidnap, saying to everyone, you need to come out now if you hear me, unless if you don't, I'm just going to come back here and just make sure every single person here is dead multiple times. And that is another decision because people, you know, will be like, I'll pretend to be dead. A lot of people you, we hear did it and they weren't so lucky because they went to, to shoot them anyways, even if they put blood on themselves, blood of their friends. You know, because the people that went there didn't come alone. It was with their yeah. friends. So people had to be brave, saying, like, maybe if I come out, my friend who will pretend dead, he will remain dead. So, so people who are drunk in a party had to, had to make these decisions of, of going out there, even losing their hands. And you can see that in the videos. And my friend also, she was brave. She decided to come out. But then something happened. She felt them talking in Arabic. She was pushed inside. But only later, when the video was translated, a video they took themselves, you can see in the reflection of the car, their person, their face, they were just keeping her there for rape. So when they come back afterwards and they will have time, you know, just raping her. But something happened. Maybe IDF showed up after a few hours or they got caught up in something else because those terrorists that left on the track planning to rape her didn't return. Only the terrorists that were supposed to throw the grenades, they remained, of course, throwing grenades, making sure they don't care if people are alive or or dead, just making sure no one escapes. So she, she, she was saved, but it's, it's hard to say she's lucky herself, but even her story compared to others, she's lucky, you know. You had tried to text your parents in the middle of all of this. What happened? So my parents, we live in the center north part of Israel, and I think only the center south part of Israel woke up at 6 o'clock like us in a party. So my parents had this routine. Like my mom, she always goes running on on every morning or so around Mm -hmm. 7.30. So when I called her to tell her how scared I was and to say my goodbyes, she didn't actually pick up the phone for a, a few calls. So I had to call my, like I, and then I decided to call my dad. And he called her back to tell her, like, to call me back. And he himself didn't even understand. Like, he thought, like, I'm just going to need to stay there, not go out where I can be, you know, shot or or rockets and missiles will fall and just remain in this public shelter. Like, 
we will all be taken care of soon. And none of us, you know, really understood at 7.30 at that time, like, it's going to take hours for, for us to get the help we need. What did you want to tell your mother at that moment? Just that I, I love her and that I, I have this feeling I'm not going to return back home. And just to send her a big hug and tell her how scared I am and maybe get, get some, some comfort um, from her. And just, you know, tell her, like, I love you. Like, it's something I, I never, I've never been in a situation where I felt so powerless and close to death. But it felt to me like the right thing, which is to be calling her and, and telling her that I love her and that I'm scared as well. You're getting ready to go back to Israel. How long have, have you been in the States? It's two been weeks. two weeks. Yeah. Um, what, what are you going to do when you get back? What's the first thing you're going to do? First, I'm going to run to see my fiancé, who is recovering by being in the IDF. That's his way to feel impactful, just like my way is to speak and, and share my story for as much people as possible. For him, it's different. So first of all, to see him, to hug all my family, to see my dogs, try to make may, maybe some, have some, some routine back, maybe doing some work. My work has been so supportive and also taking care of myself mentally. But now me and my fiance are, are considering flying back here to speak to more campuses, to come back to Congress, because you feel like, you know, I'm a first teller of a story. Like, this is something I never thought would happen. Like, I'm just a somebody in Israel. Like, I, I'm not a public figure. Like, you know, I sometimes speak my, my voice in a political manner, but it's not like a political even a thing. Like, and now I'm, I'm all of a sudden a voice of all 3,000 people who, are not American citizens who are dead, who are in Gaza, who are so traumatized they can't take the, the plane and, and speak. So it feels to me like I can't be selfish right now. I, I need to do it as much as possible while containing my mental health. So it's like a balance of some sort. Right. But this is my, you know, reserved service. Like my reserved service would be to talk here, to, to get people to, to speak up because the, I think the number one problem is it's people being silent, and it's something that happened in the Holocaust for years. People were like, yeah, it's just not going to look. It's not, it's not my family, you know, just continue my life. And it took them so long to realize that this is something so barbaric, the destruction of people just because they're a religion, just because they're a nation, just because of something. It's just wrong. And I feel like this time it's even worse. Like, I, I would never, you know... I would never think to myself, like, what, I, what we've been through is worse than the Holocaust because the Holocaust is, like, the number one most awful thing the Jewish people have endured. But this time, it's not being discreet. It's not, you know, falsifying where they're having, showing people, like, how the Jews are in this specific camps having yeah. a good time. Like, they really took the time to take pictures, to, to broadcast it, and people are like, yeah, let's do it. Let's, you know, seeing all the babies killed, like, they, they deserve it. They're, they're Jews occupiers. Like, are, are, you, are you people serious? It's just babies. Why, why do babies have to take a price for, for your disbelief or belief in, in the state of Israel or, or the state of Palestine? Like, civilians should not suffer the, the, the accountability of a government. And I feel like I, I always empathize with people losing their life. I don't think anyone should lose their life unless, you know, they're breaking the law, unless they're doing terror acts or, or unless... Basically, that's it. And, and to see that all this hatred is, is not pointed at, at the government of Israel, at the IDF. It's, it's really pointed at me. It's really pointing at my, my mom, my sister, 
babies, elderly. Like, this just feels so wrong that the world in these 2023, after Holocaust, after we, we experience all these genocides around the world, to be like, okay with it, this is just wrong. And I feel like my, my biggest message to be like, wake up, like, this could just be easily your family. This could just easily be your, the baby of your neighbors next door who are just going to sleep on holiday and, and are butchered alive, not even killed. Killed would be a nice word to describe. They put a baby in an oven, yeah. raping his mom, just so she can, while she's being raped to death, hear her baby scream. I can't understand how even one person from Gaza, from US, from Turkey, from German, Germany would be okay with it. It's, it's just morally wrong. And I think it shouldn't be about political. It shouldn't be a two-sided, two-sided narrative right now. It should just be to really recognize Hamas as, as not even like a terror organization, as, as something bigger. They butcher people, they slaughter people. They should yeah. not be paraded. Maya, thank you so much for being with us on the Fox News Rundown. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.